Guys, welcome to the True Tone Lounge 2020 Quarantine Edition. This is this is the way we have to go forward. So, the, uh, so the pandemic podcast. That's right. <laughs> we're, <laughs> so we're we're just going to have fun here. And so uh, you know, I'm 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 at home, and uh, Guthrie's at home, and uh, we just wanted to have kind of an update of uh, you know what what Guthrie's been up to and uh you know and, and how all this time has has treated him and uh what his thoughts are and you know of course we we, we made him uh, pick up a telecaster which you know you got to put a gun to his head to get him to play a telly but you know <laughs> but uh anyway so one thing I wanted to start off with which which is funny was you know on on Facebook we were discussing guitar picks and I just thought it was really funny that I never comment that heavily on on anything, but the pick yeah. the pick thing has been it's just something that I notice and something that you know I'm not for you know to you know uh, no pun intended, but I'm usually not that picky. Yeah. When it when it comes to certain things, but I have my things that I that I do like over the years. I mean, and the pick has become something of a topic of conversation and something that I notice teaching a lot these days. And um, I've always seen it. It's funny with the Belmont students. I've seen I've seen a lot of stuff. We can talk about that if you want. But just little things. I'm not as picky as most people in town about things like neck size and stuff like that. I mean, if I've never had really, in my opinion, I don't think I've ever really had great that great of guitars. All my friends disagree, but I've never been like a big collector or or you know. I've always just kind of played with what I, you know, with what I have and I've got some good stuff, but I don't have collections like most of these guys. And I I just, I'm not that picky. I mean, if something sounds and plays good and I'm, I feel like I'm not um, really, you know, restricted by the limitations of the instrument, then I'm pretty happy with it, you know? Yeah. But, but the funny part was, is that the, the pick that I hate the most is one of the picks that you hate the most too. And it's, but you know, a famous guitar player's kind of signature pick, the Eric Johnson Dunlop little green and no, it's red. And yeah. uh, to me they're painfully bright. And they're Pain- just Yeah. And, and and I don't know how Eric Johnson gets them to work for him, but you know, a lot of people have decided to use them and they they don't work for them. Yeah, I think you know, since he's got such a unique approach and his tone is such a signature part of his sound and probably well, not probably. I, I I can almost guarantee you that that's it's the tone of a guitar is not just the sound; it's also the feel of it. I mean, we it's a yeah. big part of the feel, and that's why a lot of times guitar players get a bad rap for wanting to turn up and play so loud. And it's not that we just want to be loud. I hate loud guitar, and and for the most part, really loud music, and so. It's not that we're trying to be really loud. It's trying. It's that we're trying to get the amp to a spot that feels good. Right. And it's more, it's more about the notes jumping out when we attack them. So we're not trying to overplay and overcompensate for the lack of of a fast attack. Like I want a guitar. Uh, you know that's why I love those old arch tops and those old um, 
old Gibsons for jazz stuff because when you get that really nice fat jazz tone front pickup you know warm tone man though you know those those notes jump out i mean you hit a note and it just immediately jumps out and man there's nothing better than that because you're getting a, you're getting an immediate response from hitting the instrument it's just like a really great acoustic or any great instrument i think is the same so it's not the guitar players are trying to turn up so loud and be obnoxious uh in most cases i think guys are just trying to get the amp up to a place where it feels good. And and so yeah. that so that being said, a lot of guys ask me they're like, "Hey man, I, I, you know, what's the perfect amp?" And for most of us, you know, guys that like me and you and the pros in Nashville, we have a bunch of different amps. But uh for me, I would probably say and you would probably agree, we'd all we, a lot of us would probably agree if we could only if guys in town can only have one amp, a lot of us would choose the Deluxe Reverb because yeah. it's portable It'll hold up in a club. You could even do a live, uh, 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 sorry, an outdoor gig with it, and it's not going to completely fall apart on you. And so if you had one amp that has reverb and, you know, kind of the jack of all trades, perfect size for sessions and gigs and whatever, I'd say deluxe reverb. But, you know, it's nice to have about four or five different amps because if you go to the, if you know, depending on what size venue you're playing, you can turn each one of those amps up to about five I'm talking about the vintage blackface fenders, which I've yep. you know got so used to, I can't get away from at this point, even if I tried. But you know, if you have a super reverb and you go outside, crank it to five, and you're going to have that good, you know, nice natural compression, that good feel. You take a Princeton reverb to a coffee shop or a real small gig, you're going to be able to crank it up to four and a half or five and get the good tone and the feel and attack you want, but you're not going to be blowing people out of the out of the room, and so. The opposite is not true. You can't take a super reverb or a twin to a real small gig and you're going to be blowing people out of the water and you're going to have a real shitty tone and a real lame attack because your amp is only going to be on one, right? Right, right. So it's Agreed. about, I would have a bunch of different size amps for different gigs and they're all going to go to the same spot on the volume most of the time because that's where they come alive. Right. So with Eric Johnson, I'm, I'm assuming that his, his sound is such a part of his whole legacy and his playing, of course, too. But whatever he's using, whatever he's doing with that with that pick, he's got such a unique, interesting right hand approach that he's doing something that makes it work for him clearly. Because we all love the way he sounds, and so yeah, he definitely he's definitely an exception to that uh, jazz three uh, pick rule. So. Yeah. And and I hope that nobody, you know, no one thought that I was slagging on, on Eric Johnson in any way, shape, or form. Oh. It's, to me, it's oh. an example of, of finding a piece of gear that your hero uses, and it doesn't work for you. And yeah, it's like Jack Pearson. You know, we all love Jack Pearson. I mean, Jesus, what a monster, amazing freak talent uh, that uh, that is from Murfreesboro, Tennessee here. And, and Jack is like, man, the guy can play blistering electric guitar, slide amazing greatest ever and then pick up a, acoustic and play like Django. He can play the mandolin. He can play anything in the world, but he's a guy that, that uses a pretty heavy pick, like a, yeah. a big, a big, uh, every time I see him, he has a different pick. He likes to change and try these, these, these different picks. And a lot of times, like sometimes I've seen him with a wig and sometimes I've seen him with a, uh, 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 what were we talking about the other day? Gold Blue tone? chips. Blue chip, gold tone, yeah. 
banjo or whatever, but yeah, yeah. the blue chip. And so he, and I've seen him a lot of times use those real big ones, the big, yeah, you know, the real big ones. And so he's got a real light touch. I know for a fact, Jack has a super, super light touch. And so he's probably letting that pick do a lot of the work for him, you know? And so everybody just attacks their instrument different. And, uh, you know, Bukov, I gotta say, you know, we all talk about Bukovac because he's such a, you know, total badass is the reason why we talk about him so much, but he actually got me on, I must say he, Sam Bush got me on the Fender heavy and Bukovac got me on the Fender medium for electric guitar. Now, if I'm playing acoustic, like we talked about in the episode or the Facebook thing, if I'm playing like a more of a bluegrass single note mandolin or acoustic, uh, larger body guitar, I'm probably going to play like more of a Fender Heavy or that uh, Blue Chip 35 that I think is just awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's a few other picks out there that 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 are great, but um, but for the electric, I've found that the medium turned on its shoulder like this is a really good. It's just enough give to where if you're playing funk rhythm or something, you're not getting this real too heavy of a pick attack. There's definitely something to it. But anyway, yeah. I don't want to take up the whole conversation talking about that. I got off no, my tangent. It's great. So let's uh, let's talk about one. What what are some things playing wise that you've been working on? Because I mean, you've been you know we've all been kind of stuck at home. What are some things on the guitar that you've been working on lately? Like maybe. Uh, man, um, I don't really have a I don't have much of a practice regiment. I I'd like to you know I like to pick up the guitar and start trying to find something that sounds like music, like a either an interesting chord progression or maybe some uh, melody or if it's a lick, I'm trying to, you know, like maybe practice like playing over um, uh, like a two, five, just a two, five, one change, like in, just interesting stuff that I can work on. Um, I definitely don't practice any scales or uh, metronomic like rhythm stuff or anything, which I should, but um, you know, mainly, I try to go in a certain direction. Like, you know, if I play a chord, you know, I want to try to take that and then either build some sort of melody or a line from it. Um, you know, something that I've been doing for a long time, which is a, uh, an idea that, that really kind of helped me get out of like, you know, I'm not necessarily the pentatonic box that everybody's trying to get out of, but it did help that also. But it's the substitution. It's a, what it's what jazz players do all the time. And, and what they're doing is they're just like Danny Gatton said years and years and years ago on that video, he said, you're basically playing in the wrong key. Well, that was his kind of uneducated music theory way of saying, uh, this is how you play jazz. And it really resonated for somebody like me who doesn't know anything about music theory more now than I ever have because of just teaching so much and having to explain things that I never had to break down before. But um, uh, but he just basically said, you know, you're playing in the wrong key, which I'll explain right now. And so what he meant by that was if, if you're, it's basically substituting an idea over another sound. And what, what a lot of people aren't really understanding with a lot of this stuff, the more I teach is, is there's a lot of overthinking going on. And I get that when you're learning, you have to compartmentalize all these different pieces of information that you're getting thrown at because you, you people are getting overwhelmed. There's a lot going on here.
know, there's rhythm, there's harmony, there's chords, there's there's scales, there's arpeggios, there's all this stuff. Well, I look at it to, to as it all being the same. If you have a chord, that's your your chord is your foundation. That's the first sound that you're being given in a musical situation. Otherwise, we just have this. And so, till till we commit to a sound, we don't have anything. And so, when I play that chord. Okay, well, the first thing I'm hearing before I even know what key it is, if I hear somebody play that, I go, oh, that's a minor because I'm hearing this tone, this dark, darker tone. I'm not hearing the major. I'm not hearing major seven. I'm not hearing dominant seven. I'm hearing the minor. So what... You know, the first thing that hits you are these are, is this foundation of sound, and then I go, well, okay, you know, what are you going to play over that? Well, uh, you know, you can play minor pentatonic over that and be okay, but then as you start adding these other little color notes, like if you add this, well, then if I take minor pentatonic. just the um if i just add the two to that pentatonic just adding the b note here here and here uh, it's not the minor scale which i think you know there's a i have a couple opinions on the minor scale there's one note in there that i don't think works all the time and so but you end up with this one note in there it takes you out of this really stiff box uh, and it gives you more of this triplet rolling kind of feel with more melody right yeah it has more color to it because that adding that that the two or the nine whatever you want to call it yeah it, it, it adds yeah. a lot more color. A lot more color. And so then you end up with these lines, you know. Um, um, uh. It's just more melodic. And so something that simple. And so what I think what was happening with a lot of people is they're not really, um, uh, they're, you know, they're thinking scales is one thing. Uh, chords or another, but I'm 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 trying to really teach that if if you see these big foundation chords and then just break those down to where you're seeing the triads and these little partial parts of these chords, and then once you see that really great framework of the chord is the foundation, the arpeggio is the first level of framework, the pentatonic if you're in a major or minor is the second level of framework, and then the scale is the third level of framework. It's all sequential and it's all the same thing once you look at it like that and you can see it as a whole. And then if you have a triad and you move one note, you move the one down a half step in every triad, one, three, five, you move the one down a half step, you get uh, major seven, you move the one down a whole step, you get dominant seven, move the third down a half step, you get minor. So if you learn an arpeggio, and if I learn, if I learn a A major arpeggio, I want to move it to major seven. 
flat the one. If I want to go to dominant seven, I flat it again. If I go to minor, I flat the third. So you're not having to learn four different things. You're learning one core foundation and just altering that one note over all four of these different sounds. Major, major seven, dominant seven, minor. If you can get a grasp on how to play over those four sounds, you're on your way to being able to navigate your way through the fingerboard a lot more freely than than if you really overthink this and try to try to um, you know separate it into all these different things. I think that looking at it like that, because it is so related and it's so close together. Um, but what Danny Gatton meant about playing in in other um, uh, keys, and I know I'm getting way off, but I'm I'm circling back here. Uh, like if I'm playing in A dominant seven which the dominant seven chord is tricky because you can't just play major pentatonic or minor pentatonic by themselves over a dominant seven chord it doesn't sound right and that's what everybody's trying to get out of the trap of that pentatonic because they they know that there's something not quite right there and what it is 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 a dominant seven chord you're getting the major third really strong but you're also getting that flat seven that's the rub of that chord that creates that tension that we love so much. And so the way to get uh, hip to that chord is first by playing the arpeggio. Which outlines that chord. Nothing outlines a chord quicker than an arpeggio, uh, which is a, I love that way of playing because it does spell out the chords really fast. And so then the mixolydian, which is the only mode I really know because it is so useful to me, I call it the dominant seven scale because it's the major scale with the flat seven. So you're getting the major third, you're getting the one, three, five, but you're getting the flat seven. And so what happens is, is I can play that scale over A dominant seven. If I go to the four chord D nine or D seven of any kind, I can play D major with the flat seven because the note that changes in the chord is the note you have to change with your with your single note lead guitar playing. So the chords are directly related to any shredding or lead guitar that you want to be able to play. If if you don't have a good understanding of these five cage system shapes, uh, like if I was gonna, I don't ever test anybody on lessons or anything like that, even remotely close to that. But if I did. I always say that I'd say, look, learn your five shapes and be able to point to the notes in those chord shapes without even having your hand on the guitar. If you can yeah. see them that well, then you're going to have a really great foundation to being able to play over even a one, four, five in every key. If I take E and I play my one, four, five here, and then here, or here, you're not just learning E's everywhere you're learning you're learning E A and B in all five of those shapes and then you can really start seeing how these inner uh twine between the the arpeggio or not the arpeggios but the triads and so then if I take E and play E to E7 E to E7, A to A7, E to E7, A to A7, all the way down the neck. Well, what that little exercise enables you to do is see how that 
flat seven of the first chord, that tone is pulling our ear to the major third of the next chord. Right, because so it's just when, semitone away. Yeah. It's a semitone away. And then if I play A7, it's leading my ear back to E7, or back to E major, sorry, the major third. And then right there, there's E7 again. So it's a, if you can see that 7 leading to the third in all those triads, then you're starting to see how you're going to be able to play over chord changes because if I play this, you can hear that going from E to E7 to A because I'm outlining. And I'm using a little bit of note leading of dancing around that major third. If I'm playing this C-shaped E chord, my notes are here. And a, a fancy way of getting from here to here is uh, it's like a little Western swing or, or jazz kind of swing lick, but yeah. it's just chromatic. So I couldn't I couldn't have an understanding of how that lick works if I'm not seeing the foundation of those notes. But anyway, real quick, I'm going to say this, and then I'll get uh, back to a question. But um, the Danny Gatton thing is this. If you're playing in being so strong in A7, if you take the note that makes that chord that what it is, which is G, and I go down a, half, a whole step to G major 7, I can play ideas. Anywhere there's a G and an A dominant 7, I can a major seven arpeggio or idea off of that and resolve back to the a major third of A uh, or even the one of A and it, and it sounds great. And then if I go to A minor, C is the note that makes A minor. I go up a minor third to C major seven and I play ideas out of that. That's the whole West Montgomery trick where he would go... What it is, it's just it's the same. That's all the same thing. If you look at if, if A seven, if you look at G major seven over yep. A seven, it's the same as C. Uh, it's the same as E minor seven. What a great sound! Just that, you know. So all those notes are very relatable. over that A7 chord. You go to A minor, 
ideas out of C major seven. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that you know turned 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 into this amazing lesson. I, you know, you have such a kind of a, a heart for, for for teaching and everything. You know, you know your artist works and uh, the Skype lessons that you offer, and and just the way that you're kind of in a very simple and easy to understand way that you've kind of described how to approach you know soloing over changes, and also the approach of making sure that when you're soloing even without backing, you can tell what the chords are. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important when, you know, you can hear somebody just soloing and you can kind of hear the changes in your head. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you why all this lesson stuff started coming along. For one, I've always gone where the work is. And if an opportunity comes along and I think I can add something to it or, 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 you know, or it's a good opportunity, I always say yes. And then, figure it out from there. Uh, when I played downtown with Don Kelly, people started asking about country lessons and a lot of Belmont kids were wanting to learn how to chicken pick. They'd, they'd get out of Belmont with those jazz three picks and wouldn't know how to play from an A chord to a D chord in a country song. And that's when yeah. I started, that's when I started really realizing like, man, this has nothing to do with, cause I was always intimid, intimidated by guys that could really play jazz really well because I never went to school for music and I grew up playing a lot of roots music. I grew up playing bluegrass and yeah. I didn't play, I didn't play any real country music until I moved to Nashville, but I, I kind of was already chicken picking because of being such a huge Danny Gatton. And, you know, I heard Brent on the Mark O'Connor new Nashville cats record. And I, I was hearing guys like Vince and Steve Warner and Ricky Skaggs. And I, I knew of that kind of playing Marty Stewart and stuff like that, but I didn't really know anything about being a session musician or, which I'm not, but I didn't really know anything about who played on records. And all I knew that I knew Jerry Douglas played the dobro on everything. Mark O'Connor played the fiddle on everything. Brent Mason played the guitar. I knew Michael Rhodes names and all these guys that are friends of mine. Now I knew all their names, yeah. but I'm guys from like the nineties. Cause those are the records I listened to. I didn't know anything about becoming a current, you know, musician where you had to keep up with everything. And so everything I've ever been able to do in my life came from a really interesting upbringing with a family that knew what really good music was and a strong dislike of commercial country music. <laughs> and so, you know, I can say that now I love living in Nashville, but you know, I, 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 I have a strong, you know, uh, avoidance of commercial country music. And a lot of our best friends play on those records and they're incredible musicians, but you know, when you see them play a gig that they really enjoy, it's far from the music that's being made on Music Row. You know, it's high level shit. It's like Pat McLaughlin or, you know, you know, all the, the, the guys in town that nobody knows about that are really creating music that like somebody like me will go listen to a band like that at Douglas Corner or Third and Lindsley. It's like a religious experience, right? And so what Nashville's famous for is not necessarily the best thing that's happening here. You know, until you're in this town and you're you're embedded in the roots of it and you know 
the guys that are, you know, that are making music that nobody's ever going to hear that is moving, that moves you, then the, the only thing that people know about Nashville is what's on the TV and the radio, which to me is the worst stuff being made here. And I'm not saying the musicians <laughs> are bad or the songwriters right. are bad, but the end result that gets, you know, sold is not the thing that, that, that we get in our car and listen to when we, when, you know, if I ever did do one of those sessions, uh, and I'm saying I'm not good at it because I, I'm good at the things that I really enjoy. You know, I'm not good at anything that I don't enjoy. If I, I'm not a good rock and roll guitar player. I mean, there's people out there that would disagree with that, but man, compared to somebody like Bukovac, that's a, you know, like a, encyclopedia of that music or a gazillion other guitar players here most of them really uh i'm not a rock and roll guitar player i don't listen to rock and roll music i don't put on led zeppelin and get off on that music i just don't i never have you know I, I'm, I'm with and you so, and so my playing is not like i'm not going to plug in an amp at my house and hit a giant chord you know i'm going to turn a small amp on and play clean like, I can't tell you the last time I turned on an overdrive pedal at my house. But those are just the sounds and the feels and stuff that I like, that I like, you know? Well, I think, you've, so, done a, yeah, I think you've done a great job of finding, you know, your niche and being who you are. And, you know, by, yeah. by teaching, by, by playing in the styles that, that work for you, that you enjoy doing. Yeah, again, people should check out the artist works, you know, of course, from, yeah. from watching this, people can see what a great educator you are, and they, they should, uh, you know, check out, you know, getting a, a Skype lesson with you. Yeah, what, yeah what? I love doing it. Yeah. I've made some great friends all around the world by teaching. It's really opened up a lot of doors. I mean, there. I told me and Tom were on the phone the other day, and I said, man, have you realized that, that because I called him, I wanted to just chat about the whole thing that he's doing on the, on the, uh, the homeschooling stuff, which I just think is so great that he's got a, uh, a just amazing uh, presence online now. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's the greatest thing on on the internet. We all know, and because he's so knowledgeable and so real and so dedicated to it and soulful. But uh, I said, man, have you realized that you know if you're if you're coming at music from an honest place and you're truly trying to make some music that you can feel, uh, you know, it doesn't attract a lot of assholes. I mean, most of these guys that come and want to either check out your music or take a lesson or just be your friend or whatever, man, 99.999% of these guys are really great people. You know, I mean, every once in a while, just because we're on the, the, you know, we're in the shark pit of the internet, you know, well, I'll get some guys that I have to delete every once in a while that just want to go right for the like, man, your lessons suck. I don't know what you're talking about. And I just go, hey, man. What do you want for nothing? Your money back? It's like, go to another YouTube channel and click on somebody else, man. You don't have to be here. They're free, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, uh, and then, but, but, but man, those guys are like one out of 5,000, you know? Right. Yeah. It's so cool. So besides, you know, of course, yeah, I've been watching all the homeschooling episodes. So besides uh, Tom's show, what what are some other things that you know during the quarantine that you've watched or enjoyed or things that have inspired you? Well, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but I'll tell you what I've been watching the most of is cooking shows. Because <laughs> oh. I'm trying to learn how to cook. I mean, this quarantine was a perfect opportunity for me to get off my ass and start learning how to cook more. 
because I've always been single in Nashville for the most part, you know, when I mean not married and don't have kids yeah. and anything yeah. and everything, 41, you know, I'm a lifer musician, but, but, um, but, you know, I always ate out. Um, people know me. I love to go out. I'm always at venues. I'm always supporting music. I'm always drinking and having, you know, I'm having, I love to go out and have a good time with people. And, um, and the quarantine was like an immediate opportunity for me to a take a break from all the nightlife b stop eating out every night or three two times a day at least you know lunch and dinner eating out at a restaurant in nashville somewhere and so i'd have people like contacting me all the time going hey man i'm coming to nashville can you give me five restaurants to check out (laughs) (laughs) not like hey what guitar shops should we go to they're like man we see that you're eating all this great food where should we go so it turned into like that whole thing and that's a whole other story, but I, I've been trying to learn how to cook more, and and it's been great to stay at home, uh, and and not be such a slave to like going out and and I've been really like when I got back from Africa, I was in Africa for two and a half weeks, South Africa with my mom and dad. I went over there to teach a clinic, and it turned into this really incredible trip. Well, that was right when the COVID was starting to really kick in. Yeah, and friends were sending me messages like, "Hey, man, you need to come back. It's getting really bad." and me and my mom and dad are sitting over there in this amazing, you know, beautiful South Africa. There wasn't any cases there yet. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we're going, well, we're not going to panic and just jump on a plane and go leave right now. And so we waited, 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 waited. We were looking at some information. We're keeping in touch with the travel agent that the guy was working with. And, and he's like, man, flights are still on. We're good. And so it got, it got up to the last, two or three days that we were supposed to be there. And we ended up coming back two days early. So that was the, we only had to shave two days off the trip, but we're glad we got back. We, we got back at a good time. And we, if we'd have pushed it any longer, it was starting to get a little stressful. Yeah. And, uh, but we had an amazing time. So we got back and my parents stayed here for a couple of days and then they drove back down to the Gulf coast. And here I was now on the 14 day uh, quarantine after traveling through all these airports coming back from South Africa I mean, we had masks and bandanas and gloves and hand sanitizer and the whole thing because my mom and dad are in their early 70s, super, super healthy. But, you know, we didn't want to take any chances. And so and we didn't know anything about this then. I mean, it was all just, you know, going crazy. And so we just like, you know, we're super vigilant. It was my goal to get me and my parents back here safe. We did. We got back. We're all safe, all healthy. And so I just used that time to put on some records, man. I was like, I shut down. I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm, you know, uh, I'm at home by myself. I'm going to put some records on. I'm going to start getting like the mandolin back out. I played along to Bela Fleck drive for like three days and tried to learn a couple of those tunes off there. Um, I started, you know, I love Cuban music, all the like, you know, if you, if you just put Buena Vista social club radio on Pandora, you can have a party by yourself for like a week, you know? Right. And so I love wine. I, I go to Woodland Wines and do the curbside pickup and I, I get, you know, seven or eight bottles of wine and I come home and I might have a, a friend over on the front porch or something and have a little wine. And then I start kind of winding down around 930 or something. And man, I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. I mean, this is like a whole new thing. But but playing along to those old records, man, putting that music on and just trying to learn something cool that you love. And the thing about the Cuban music that you don't have to be like a bebop jazz player to figure out is a lot of that stuff is just, you know, it's based on like the, uh, it's just the, 
I say the one minor because that's our tone. We're not, we know we're in the key of C technically, yeah. but I, that's another thing I wanted to say about the, le, the little mini mini lesson there was if I'm in, if I hear this chord, I'm thinking A minor. I'm not thinking C. I'm not thinking anything else other than the chord that I'm hearing at that moment. And so a lot of guys, a lot, a lot of these Belmont students would come over, and this is years and years ago, way before I was making any money teaching or anything, I would charge like, you know, 30, 40 bucks for a guitar lesson, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And, and these kids would see me at Roberts, and they'd go, hey, man, we want to learn how to chicken pick. How do you how do you go from an A to a D chord? And I thought, God, this kid just graduated from Belmont, and he doesn't know how to play from a one to a four chord. Yeah. Because what's happening is they're learning that when you go from one chord to the next chord, they're thinking of that four chord as being a, another chord in another key. And I go, man, you're going to have to stop that right now because, A, I don't know what you're talking about. And, B, that's the most confusing thing I've ever heard in my life. I, there's no way my brain will ever work that way. I mean, unless somebody sat me down and really said, like, hey, man, this is really cool. You need to check this out. Then I might go, like, if it was somebody like Pat Burgesson or Jack Pearson, if they sat me down and went, hey, man, look, you know, really what they mean by that is this. Then I might lighten up on it and go, okay, show me what you're talking about. But, man, these kids that come over and are really just already overthinking something that simple, I just go, man, try to simplify this. You know, think about this. You're in the key of A. When you go to the four chord, you're playing over D for a minute. You're outlining the tones that are in the chord that's actually being played. And then you go back to the one chord. You're outlining those chord tones for a minute. Then if it, then whatever it goes to after that, if it goes to the flat seven or, you know, some weird uh, change, then you're having to play over that chord for a split second. You're not changing keys. You're changing chords. And so... It's just I, I I think this might be a little simpler than a lot of people are making it. You know, I think there's a lot of overthinking going on with people that are just learning, you know. But like I said, I get it because you have to compartmentalize certain things to understand it. But before you can get to the level of of seeing it. Right. So I get right. it. But I, I just I wish there was like a a, a direct link uh, that I could connect from my brain the way i'm seeing it to their brain and it would be like you know if we could hook up a a usb cable and you could, <laughs> and, and they could see immediately how i'm seeing this and how simple it is for me to just see that that's a and that's going to the four i mean that's you're playing over the chord changes but you're staying right in that shape, but you have to be able to see those chord shapes and the information around those to, to, I think that's a really good, you know, that's a good foundation, you know? You have, you have to know the neck of the guitar. You have, you have to know the notes. You, it's just, it's, there's no way around it. At least a little bit. Now, now one thing I, I hate to keep bringing up Tom, but one thing that surprised me about, well, it didn't surprise me, but one thing that kind of, kind of made me think for a minute was he was just, he was saying, what what he thought was extremely extremely important, like as as important as I will say that the chord shapes are, he was saying knowing every single note on the fingerboard cold. 
Yeah. Which I can tell you, I don't know that. If if you if you pointed to that note right there or this note right there, it would take me a minute to figure out what it was. Yeah. You know, I don't know them like he does or like Jack probably does or Pat or that you know they know the notes. It's just because I've never focused on any theory. Like I know what key I'm in, and I know that you know that you know I know that that's E and F and F sharp and G and A flat and A and uh, you know, B flat and B and C and all that. I know that, but as far as just randomly knowing every single note cold on the fingerboard, I, that would take me a while to, to yeah. get that going, yeah. you know. It's just well, something I never learned, but, you know. Yeah. So you, you talked about listening to some old records. Name uh, three to five, you know, records that are, you know, that, that really you played a lot over the last couple of weeks that just really kind of floor you. Okay, there, there's a Van Morrison record called uh, um, "Poetic Champions Compose." Okay. The the critics hated it, but I think it's one of his greatest records. I listen to that record nonstop, from start to finish. I listen to that record. I think it's killer. A lot of times I'll go to sleep listening to it, um, and then um, I listen to. Um, Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms, or one of the first or second records of theirs. Um, really, any actually, I can say any Dire Straits. I also like uh, On Every Street. So Brothers in Arms and On Every Street are my two go-to Dire Straits records, although the early stuff is also killer. And then um, uh, any Cuban music, I'll put on. What I like with the Cuban stuff is I'll I'll put on just like a Pandora stack. I've been getting back into Pandora because it's so random. I like the random fact. Uh, Spotify is great if you have a playlist, and I, I like to kind of go from one thing to the next. But if um, if I do Cuban stuff, I'll go to Pandora and I'll either put on like Afro Cuban All Stars or I'll put on uh, Vista Social Club, which is a lot of people's go-to Cuban stuff. That'll take yeah. you down a great rabbit hole of some killer yeah. Cuban stuff. Uh, the bluegrass is, is like Bela Fleck Drive. Um, uh, some of that stuff, you know, I love. Um, uh, and let's see what else. Uh, and then sometimes I'll do the Spotify, the uh, like the uh, daily mix. So, you know, I've got like a, there's a daily mix for like R&B and soul, uh, you know, Bill Withers and all that stuff. And then there's another one that's like Muddy Waters and, you know, uh, Old Blues. And then there's another one that's like um, uh, also the Cuban stuff. So I'll go to those. I, I just like, I, I like kind of random stuff. You know, I want to be, if I'm cooking or something, I'll put on that and just let all the songs play. And I, I'm I'm entertained by that, you know. That's great. That's great. Yeah. We'll go through. We ought to, uh, we ought to you know, shut, shut her down. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, being willing to do this. This was a real, a real treat. And you gave us a, a whole lesson and, uh, and we, we got to, to get a good, nice update from you and, uh, and, and what a treat. So thank you so much, Guthrie. You didn't even ask any questions. I've talked the whole time, man. I'm so sorry. No, this is perfect. <laughs> I don't, I didn't have to prod you at all. I just got on a roll. But uh, I could go on for hours. As I love talking about this stuff, and and I'm I'm lucky that uh, like you know I I don't have the knowledge and and of of um, the history of music and records like a lot of guys in town do. But I've developed at least enough experience on some of this stuff to where I can share 
a little bit of knowledge that I think might work for people, and I'm happy to share it. And like I said, man, I'm making a lot of great new friends around the world by by being uh, on the internet and teaching a little bit. And so it's it's fun, man. It's a, it's fun, and it's a great way to to kind of give back a little bit during a during a crazy time that we're all. Man, I was okay the first month, and now I'm starting to get a little bit stir crazy. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. wanting to. You know, it's like nobody really has any real answers that we can trust or believe. And uh, I feel like everybody's kind of just flying blind and we don't know when this stuff's going to end or is it safe or is it not? And I'm just kind of over the stress of it, you know? Yeah. I and think so, everyone is. Yeah, I think we all are at this point, you know? And so uh, we just, we were lucky we have music to fall back on and good friends like you to, to do stuff like this, man. It keeps it fun and interesting. Well, I'm glad because you certainly uh, helped me out today and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. So Godfrey... Great. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time uh, on the uh, 2020 quarantine edition of the True Tone Lounge. Thank you, Guthrie. Thanks a bunch, man. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.